Today is Wednesday, September 11th, 2019. Time for episode 92 of the Barnhart Podcast. And it is the anniversary of the day which lives in infamy, September 11th. And we can never forget the actions of all of those Muslims outside of Vienna and the glorious conclusion that the the Hussars under uh, the Polish king driving back the, the Muslim invasion that threatened all, to overrun all of Europe. We will never forget September 11th. We will never forget Jan Sobieski and the glorious charge, absolutely. And we will also never forget what happened 18 years ago today, in all seriousness. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing that it's 18 years. It seems like, seems like yesterday. And I read, you know, every year you read, you know, pieces and commentaries and go back and review people's testimonies of, of you know, who were there. And um, I read it, what the one that stuck out to me that I read today referenced the fact that um, all of the students who are now in basically undergrads have no living memory of it. They just, they have no idea what we're all excited about and what we're talking about and why we all sit around and have these hush quiet conversations and on this day and they just really don't get it at all and it, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised because look at what the people of New York City turned around and did almost immediately um, to their to their own local government. Um, look at what the people of the United States did turned around and permitted the 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 Obama usurpation put a guy in office who's literally named after the magic flying horse that um, that uh, the the satanic and probably non-existent entity Mohammed was supposed to have flown ma- magically um, to Mecca or something like that. The name of his of his magic flying horse was Barack. That's that's who. Uh, well, Barry, whatever, whatever you you uh, you think his name actually is, but I guess his name actually on on his birth on his fake birth certificate, it 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 does say Barack. So yeah, look what look what Americans did. I mean, just thirty six hour news cycle. I mean, <laughs> the thing in retrospect, the thing that was so remarkable about nine eleven is that it lasted the the 911 news cycle persisted for months if not close to a year i mean it was it was the event all of the headlines everything was 911 for months and months and months and like i said close to a year and now i mean you just looking at these at these shootings and things that are going on just absolutely amazing to me that that you know I used to talk about the 36 hour news cycle it isn't even 36 hours anymore there are mass shootings and and now that lasts I don't know 18 hours maybe um, so it's just getting to the point where nobody has any persistence of memory and things just things just go down the memory hole and everything is treated as as just basically a television show and it's just it's just disposable and forgotten. History itself is disposable and forgotten in real time as it's happening. And that's that's pretty amazing and pretty intimidating. It, it is interesting that the news cycle did last as long as it did. And there, I, I remember there had been some commentary about how people have been having shrinking attention sizes. And I've, we've mentioned the book, or at least I've mentioned the book many times on the podcast, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And it's a commentary about the nature of the medium of television. 
And one of the essential aspects of it is it forces shorter and shorter attention spans. Without television, you don't have the concept of a soundbite. And it gets to the point where long-form discussions where you actually get into the meat of an issue becomes almost unbearable to the mind these days for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. So it is interesting that you know long-form podcasts where where people can really develop ideas and, and get into things that they that they have the followership that they do, or maybe people are only listening to them forty-five seconds at a time, well, five minutes at a time, and 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 doing other things. Uh, but but it is amazing that in the age where I remember it being said that the attention span on MTV was down under twenty seconds, even sub ten seconds for segues. Uh, on, on some of the TV shows they were doing. This was prior to 2001. And yes, mm-hmm. that news cycle was locked in for months uh, afterward. We were we suddenly had the ability to focus and fixate on something and uh, not have a need to be distracted all of a sudden. I guess death will do that. Yeah. It, it, that's one thing that 9-11 did do is for that period, however however long that period was, man, it got everybody's attention and it got everyone to focus. Um, but you're absolutely right. And um, I got rid of television in 2009, but I used to watch Fox News in the evenings and it got to be, it got to be just almost unbearable because, I mean, now we're talking about over 10 years ago now, just sitting and watching the evening news block on Fox News of O'Reilly, for example, O'Reilly's the big one. Um, they were saying at that point now, over 10 years ago, that the attention span was seven seconds. And you could tell because if you sat and you watched O'Reilly, he would ask a question. The person would basically have one sentence. The person would be given the opportunity to respond with one sentence and then O'Reilly would cut them off and change the subject. There you go. It was a seven second. Everything had to be changing, changing, changing every seven seconds. And that's, like I said, I got rid of TV in February of 2009. So we're talking over a decade ago. That's before the advent of you know, text messaging the way it is now. I mean, 10 years ago, text messaging was SMS messages on your on your flip phone and, and iPhones and, and, and smartphones were just coming online. It wasn't the, the ubiquitous thing. Certainly there wasn't anything like WhatsApp and, you know, all of these um, messaging applications that we all now have and are just at a, and are ubiquitous. And it's to the point now where, you know, people are communicating not even, and we've talked about this, they're communicating not even in words, but just in in emojis that you, you can't even focus on anything enough to be bothered to type out a word or to make a statement of, yes, I agree, or no, I don't like that. <laughs> it, it, every, all you can do is, is, is put in an emoji. That's how short the, the, attention span is. So yeah, the, the podcast format, it, there are still people left, mostly adults, not very many young people at all. I would be interesting to, it would be interesting to know the demographics of who are the people who are, who are listening to podcasts like this. What are the demographics? My demographic has, my audience demographic has always skewed very, very much older, always, ever since I started. Um, 
but I would I would assume that the average age of the people that are listening to this has got to be in the upper 50s if not in the 60s I would assume and then there are a few people who are in their who are in their 30s who are listening to it but I I don't think it's very many at all and I think there's probably next to none who are in their 20s who listen to this so if if, if any of you out there are are haven't have not yet turned 30 and you're you're Barnhart podcast listeners I'd I'd be fascinated to hear from you and just uh I would be interested to know what your media consumption is like because you've your entire life has been you've been brought up in this in this super fast low attention span or attention span deficit um, environment. So yeah, but off the top of my head, I can think of one person who is under thirty, and it might be barely, and that's the Dallas tax accountant. Um, aside from that, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head in terms of under forty. The very civil engineer is under forty, I think, still. Um, other than that, you might be right. Uh, it might be all people o- older than us. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier the um, the idea of a, a, or a teacher mentioning that uh, their students. Uh, we're all, you know, not in living memory. And we, you might be referencing the same tweet that, that I saw, and it's from Kansas Catholic. All, all the students in my classes today were either babies or toddlers on September 11th, 2001. This is just another day to them. I'm starting to understand how my grandparents felt when December 7th became just another day during Advent. Yeah, maybe that is what I'm thinking about. Maybe somebody sent that to me. Yes. Um, but <laughs> it, it's it's true. Um, and you know, to us, it feels like it feels like yesterday. I could I could rattle off and recite the entire series of of events, you know, minute by minute during the morning, where I was, what I did, went where I was when the first plane hit, the second plane hit, the first tower collapsed, second tower collapsed, Pentagon's hit, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, most of us can. Um, again, probably no one that's that's young is listening to this so i'm probably not i'm not doing anybody any good we all we all know we all know exactly what it was like and um i remember for certain i was not on keto yet because i was eating oatmeal and i don't know why that that sticks in my brain the other thing that sticks in my brain is i was watching cnn headline news and it was right in the middle of their sports segment talking about michael jordan making his return to the wizards they cut right in the middle and they're trying to figure out why there was smoke coming out of the the one of the towers of the twin towers and I mentioned it to my uh, housemate before I left, and I was on my way to work, and he calls me, and he says, dude, I just watched on live TV a, an airliner fly into the other tower, and I'm like, um, that's an act of war. <laughs> yeah. And then, then another friend calls me a little bit later, he's like, did you hear the news? I was like, yeah, two planes hit hit um, or the towers in New York. He's like, no, the Pentagon. And mm-hmm. <laughs> my thought was, am I going to get recalled? <laughs> Yeah. And then I realized my specialty was driving a ship. And if I have any idea about who might be behind that, they were already saying maybe um, Islamic terrorists is like they don't have navies. We hadn't we had not sold them a navy yet. So they they didn't have a navy. (laughs) There there was there was no chance that I was going to get recalled for that. Yeah. Well, I was when the first plane hit, I was on my way into the office. Um, I was on E-470 in Denver for any anybody out in Colorado. And I knew that it was serious because as I was flipping around on the radio, um, I still listened to the radio, didn't even have satellite. Yeah, didn't even have satellite radio yet. Um, was flipping around on the radio and there was a 
there was a morning show and on this specific morning show one of the DJs did a, a he, he was a character he always did a voice and it was part of the you know it was called the morning zoo crew or something something like that and this this particular DJ always did a voice and he was always in character and I knew something was very, very wrong because that guy started talking in his normal voice, which you know I never heard before because he was always in character. And it's like, okay, then you, then you flip to the new you, to the AM news station, and you know run into the office, turn on the television, and watch. Sat there and watched it all happen. And the markets never opened because everyone in Chicago thought that obviously, I mean, the the New York-based futures markets were in the World Trade Center. The trading floor was down underneath the Twin Towers. It was underground over there. And um, so, of course, <laughs> obviously, no New York markets. And then they were saying that the Sears Tower and the big the skyscrapers in Chicago were targeted as well. And so there were obviously no markets that day. And we hung around for a while because we were answering the phone and just, you know, making sure the clients all knew, obviously, that there are not going to be any markets today. Everything's closed and the markets are going to be closed probably for the rest of the week too, which I think they, when did they reopen? Might The Chicago markets might have reopened on Friday because 9-11 was a Tuesday, but it was... Yeah, it was just that, and stat was in the office when, when everything pretty much happened. Second plane, first collapse, second collapse, Pentagon, um, and then and then the Pennsylvania, and then I left. I went ahead and went home, and I and I I wept driving home, and I when I got home and sat and turned on the television. I, I sat there and, and I wept briefly. Um, and then it's, all right, this is, this is it. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And in a certain sense, it did. But in a certain sense, maybe not enough. We didn't learn. I, I, clearly, clearly our civilization did not learn what it should have learned from that. And it, it there was even a, there's even been a, a backlash back the other way where people, idiots, are just bending over backwards to prove that, oh, no, Islam is peace. And like oh, I could still just throttle George W. Bush for that crap. He, I mean, he, sh he should be throttled for, for letting those words come out of his mouth. Imbecile, idiot, and yeah, probably, probably stooge and probably in bed with the Saudis. Yes, absolutely. Well, but, yeah, the the Bushes vacationed with the Bin Ladens. I seem to recall that phrase bouncing around. I don't know if they vacationed with them, but I mean, the Saudis were given massive preferential treatment. They were allowed, um, Saudi royal family members were allowed to fly out. It was like the, one of the only airplanes flying out of American airspace on on Tuesday, September 11th was the damn Saudis getting evacuated out of the United States. It's just sick, absolutely sick. Now, I should clarify that the Bin Laden family is like talking about the Kennedy family. It's it's very big and wide and crazy, and only one of them was really into terror. A lot of them are into all kinds of diversified businesses, and they're billionaires many times over. And the Bush family is big and large, too. So it wasn't like the entire 
two clans were all buddy buddy. But I, I recall uh, very vividly there was some press conference where the the um, I don't know if it's the White House press secretary where some reporter asked him that and he was just very terse and would only repeat the same phrase. Yes, the Bushes do uh, vacation with the Bin Laden family, but he didn't go into any more detail than that. And of course, all of the uh, Alex Jones conspiracy people just picked up on that immediately and started seizing on that. But that's too much crazy. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down it. We've all, we've all been wading through that crap for 18 years now. So no need to rehash it. Yep. Um, let's see. We had other topics for tonight and this actually wasn't one of them. I just, I, I couldn't not open the show saying the date and not address it. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of hard to avoid. I would, I would have felt very guilty if we had not at least said something. Um, I would like to, um, speaking of short attention span theater, um, I do have good news. Um, I've been toying with the idea and people have been asking me and suggesting that I publish um, actual paper books of collected essays, greatest hits, so on and so forth. And I'm very happy to announce that I've finished the typesetting with my typesetter, the first one today. And so- um, Is it going to be called the Book of Barnhart? (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) What do we even call it? Something very plain. uh, collected essays, collected essays, book one, and Barnhart. That's all it is. It's very, very, very plain, very simple. Um, but this first one is 11, 11 of the of the greatest hits. A little bit of everything, you know, little economics, anti-feminism, you know, little little preaching the gospel, you know, <laughs> a little bit of everything. But it it really there's a couple things. Um, first is with all of this um, canceling people, deplatforming people, it's it's clear that it is racing, especially towards me, that I am going to be, someone at some point is going to make it extremely difficult for me to have any sort of a presence on the internet. Um, I fully, fully acknowledge that. And also, it's it's very clear that it's going to be difficult for me to engage in any sort of banking here pretty soon. I mean, hello, we've talked about this recently, Mark of the Beast, all of that. It's obvious what's happening. Um, So in terms of censorship and having my stuff on the internet and cancel culture and um, all of that, the, the pendulum has now indeed swung so far to the extreme that one of the most secure methods of having your writing, whatever, isn't having it in the cloud, is not having it in the cloud, is not having it on a USB drive or anything like that. The most secure means of having your writings out in the world is we're now back to paper. Um, And so, yeah, I do want to go ahead and get it so that for as long as it lasts, I will be able, people will be able to buy hard paper copies of these essays that are completely um politically incorrect triggering social justice warrior snowflakes 12 ways from sunday all of that intolerant hateful you know all all that good stuff um yeah get this stuff down on paper 
and get it out and let people buy it and have have these copies floating around so that when when the time comes and it's no longer possible for anyone who's morally sane to be able to have any sort of a presence on the internet that's just going to be you know just censorship and I mean, what are you going to do? Do I change? Do I change domain name every twenty-four hours? Well, then, how does anybody know where you are? Or how can anyone find you, et cetera, et cetera? Um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and, and do what we can. And it's uh, it's pretty cool. And I we're going to get these out, and the first one should launch before we record the next podcast. So you'll see that on the website. And I think. I think I set the price at like, I don't know, 1850 or something like that. And we'll see how it goes. It's and and admittedly, it's again in anticipation of the fact that I am at some point not going to be able to hold a bank account or be able to do any sort of financial transactions in my own name. I absolutely do want to stack as much cash as I can, get rent paid as far in advance as I possibly can. And just so that when that happens, when that day comes and I get completely deplatformed from, get completely economically deplatformed, that I will have months. I'll have a matter of months to, you know, figure out what's the next chess move. It's not going to be a matter of, you know, good grief rent is due <laughs> rent is due next week and i have absolutely no ability to access any funds whatsoever um well if if you've got some some cash stacked and if you've got rent paid in advance at least you'll have time so that's that's another aspect of this it's it's absolutely a i don't know what do you call it fundraising money making whatever it is no question so we're going to get these books out and people have told me that they want this. They want to be able to, to, you know, give people a little book and say, Hey, like, here's Barnhart. You should read this. You should read this one here about, um, about why, you know, Anne's rant against feminism and Anne's rant against this, Anne's rant against that. So yeah, <laughs> stocking stuffers, Christmas is coming. So, and they're really nice little books. And I, I'm, I'm really cool with this whole um, print by demand publishing thing. Um, as we've talked about on the podcast before, I've come to understand that um, what we would call mainstream publishing houses, wildly, wildly, wildly corrupt, as I think a lot of people have probably figured out. Why is Michelle Obama getting a $10 million advance to, to put her name, have ghostwritten some BS book that let's be honest, hardly anyone reads any of those books. All of these book deals, all of this New York Times bestseller list, that is all fake, fake, fake. I want nothing to do with that. It's A lot of it is money laundering. It's white collar money laundering. Well, we need to give the Obamas $10 million. So we're going to give 10 million, give Michelle Obama a $10 million book deal, and then we're going to have all of our corrupt um, political political action committees and all of this garbage. We're going to have them buy and place orders for like 500 copies of Michelle Obama's book or a thousand copies of Michelle Obama's book. And then they just give them away or use them as doorstops. Nobody reads any of this, any of this garbage. And that's what it all is. It's all ghostwritten garbage. So I don't want anything to do with that. And they and the publishing house takes a, a massive chunk. Well, if you just do these little print-on-demand jobs, 
these little softback books and they're great. They're a great little size and you can set the font and make sure that the font is big enough so that you don't have to squint to read it and the margins are good and you get a, you get a nice little payout off of the deal. And you know what? You can know that the people who are buying these are probably actually reading them. There's this, it's not, it's not, money laundering it's not um payola it's not graft it's you know people are actually buying these books to read them it's just a it seems to me it's just a much purer uh paradigm so we're gonna try it and see how it goes and do it do it for as long as we can so that's kind of the good news and the big project that was just wrapped up today in fact well that's awesome and i want to talk to your typesetter because a project I've been working with for a while is uh, uh, religiousbookshelf.com. And if you follow uh, Roman McLean or Super Nerd Media on Twitter, every once in a while you'll see me post something, morning meditations or a spiritual reading. And it's from a collection of writings from St. Alphonsus. It's Meditations and Readings for Every Day of the Year. And it's an eight-volume set that's been long out of print. And uh, somebody went through the laborious, time-consuming work of photocopying every single page, and then it was digitally scanned and then OCR'd, and um, it, it's, it's just a treasure uh, of, of spiritual reading. And that'd be great to get that typeset and actually available in physical form again. I don't know how much it would cost, because I, I imagine your book is probably not going to be 5,000 pages long, but... Uh, it's just a tremendous. It, it, if for no other reason than to have it nicely formatted for either ebook or reading on 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 a phone, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's just good daily readings. I mean, it'd, it'd be nice to be able to you know say drop that in an app and have it remind you time for morning reading and go straight to the to the morning reading time for evening uh, reading or something like that. I just think it'd be great. But um, <laughs> too many yeah, and, too I many mean, projects. I don't know if I'll ever get to it. Well, there's two there's two um, methods that people are doing, and and my typesetter is doing exactly the same sort of thing, going finding old texts that are obviously in the public domain because they're you know theology texts and you know stuff from way back. You can either basically scan and then publish what what kind of looks like a a really high quality Xerox photocopy of these things just in a, in a new binding. Or if you go all out, and this is what my typesetter does, is that you you retypeset the entire thing and get it into a completely new, clean formatting. It's exactly the same text, but you've you've ju you've just retypeset it, and it's really cool, and it's a it's a wonderful thing, and this um, print by demand thing, that's what's allowing all of this to happen. And there's, it's really shocking at how much, how many old texts there are out there that only exist right now for all intents and purposes as these, like you said, just scans, almost like, you know, they, somebody took a book, an old, old book, and put it face down on a scanner like we all have in our office and you know like what we have on our at-home printer and just scan the page and that's really suboptimal so and it's a, it's a great it's a great uh labor for you know young people theology students etc cetera, etc cetera. it's a great little thing for them to do on the side and it's just completely helpful you're contributing to you're contributing to culture to get these things retypeset 
and then get these texts back out both. And I, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you can do, obviously, what I'm talking about and my focus is, is on um, paper. But with all of these self-publishing outfits, you can, um, you have the option of having both. You can have paper copies available for people and then also they can buy electronic versions, whether it's Kindle or, or whatever Apple's is called, iBook or whatever it is. And there are multiple, there are multiple electronic formats. Um, but yeah, to get, get the stuff back out and available, um, it's, it's a tremendous service. I'm helping somebody right now with the scanning process for some older material like this. And of course, the problem is going to be once it's all scanned, getting it properly transcribed, whether you're using OCR or not. And some of the old books are using archaic type fonts or typesetting. Uh -huh. So the OCR has no clue what this is. And it comes out in Unicode or it looks like it's Middle European uh, kind of Serbian type text or something. It's like, yeah. no, that's just a little flourish they stick in there because they were fancy like that. And so for people with big enough monitors who can put the, the PDF scan on one side and then a text editor on the other side to go through and correct it, if there are volunteers to do something like that, um, if this is something that sounds interesting, uh, send me an email at, at uh, email at uh, supernerdmedia.com and I'll send you more information about this. And uh, I'll, I'll send you also some links to uh, religiousbookshelf.com and that project and, and um I can give you some examples of the PDFs they're working with and some of the text scans and show you what they're looking at there in terms of how to correct what they're referring to in terms of correcting their, their OCR. And, and let, me, let me also jump in here and say that you can also just go completely, totally old school and just retype it. You know, you, you've got the, the text with the, the funky old European script in front of you. And you just start typing and it's, it's extremely laborious, but it's all, it, it almost reminds me of, you know, that monastic vocation. That's what a, a lot of monks did for their work during the day was just transcribe and make, you know, obviously before the, the advent of the printing press, if you wanted to have another copy of a book, somebody had to just sit down and write it out by hand. And that's what a lot of the monks did as their work were these transcriptions. And so we're almost getting back to that where obviously we aren't writing it out by hand, but we're typing. There are people who are t having to type these texts out by hand and completely start from scratch in terms of the typeset. So it doesn't even, you can even go even more old school and more hardcore than, than scanning and doing OCR. You can just, you can just go, <laughs> you can go totally old school and just type it by hand from scratch. Another viable option these days is to simply dictate it. And the a lot of voice ah, dictation yes. uh, mm. software is good enough to figure it out. Now, granted, if you're reading the moral manual in Latin, that's not going to work. And if it's something that has a lot of archaic words in it, it won't work either. But if those are the exception and you make notes of, of where those exceptions are, let the OCR, or let the, OCR, let the uh, voice recognition system uh, try to figure it out later and then you go back and correct it. And a lot of the like Amazon Web Services, and I don't know if Azure has it, which is the Microsoft Cloud Services, they have free service tiers where you can put X number of, I don't know, minutes or hours of audio, and it'll generate transcriptions uh, from the audio. In fact, some people were, were putting their podcasts through this until Amazon said, no, you're abusing the service, don't do that. 
Uh, but the the technology for doing voice transcription is getting a lot better and a lot cheaper, like a lot of technology does. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's not government supported or, or being run by an insurance racket, this stuff always gets cheaper and better as we go. And voice dictation is certainly getting there. Even even though Siri still has challenges, you're not usually using a good microphone when you're when you're doing uh, when you're talking to your phone. So if you're if you've got a halfway decent microphone like the one Anne is currently using. Uh, it still makes me chuckle when people think that we're in the same room recording and yeah. is, and is not in the same area code or zip code or state. And, and, uh, she's using a $30 or $35 or Sennheiser PC eight had USB headphones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's a little splurgy for people who want to only spend nine bucks. It's a whole $35, but it sounds really darn good. And if you're doing voice transcription and you speak slower and more clearly than I do, you should have no problem. Well, it, this reminds me of when I did the the part one Bergolian anti-papacy video and for the first time turned the the captioning, the, just the English language captioning on. And I thought, oh, this is going to be this is going to be awful. It's, it's going to be terrible. I was absolutely astounded at how good the YouTube automatically generated um, uh English language um, captions were that there were hardly there were hardly any errors at all, and it, the errors were on things. It wasn't even me speaking too fast or slurring a word or anything. It was me using some super weird term in the context of you know this video about the Bergolian anti papacy and all this. I can't even think of what an example of a super obscure word I used was, and it was probably something in Latin or something too. You know that those were the only airs. Everything else was was fantastic, and again, that was just using that the ambient microphone on the iPhone that was used to record to record the video is just amazing. So, yeah, there's. The technology just keeps getting better and better for better or for worse. But in this case, it's definitely for better. Yeah, you shouldn't be surprised with the um, the, the ability of the NSA's tech. I mean, Google's technology. They they put the best <laughs> stuff in. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of uh, the 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 monks that used to be their their whole career, their whole vocation to write books out, talking about the guesstimated age of the audience, you might remember the uh, the Xerox commercials from the late seventies and early eighties featured a monk. Um, yes. seeing the, the operation of a Xerox copier and, and making goofy comments like, oh, it's a miracle. This is, or, or some other thing, uh, like it's, like it's heaven sent because they're, they're now free to go do something else, I guess. But that was what the monks did for centuries. Yes. And also in terms of apologetics and, um, you know, Protestants ranting and raving that the Catholic Church didn't permit anybody to have the Bible. And I just shake my head. And do you have any idea how much a Bible cost before the advent of the printing press? Because it was in order to have a complete Bible, which there there weren't very many, because what you would have is you would have the lectionary of the mass, you would have the breviary, you would have things like that, but you wouldn't have, there weren't very many Bibles, you know, to start with. And then what, what do you think? Where do you think paper came from? Oh, wait, they weren't using paper. They were using vellum, which is an animal skin. And you have to go through this, that, and the other extremely difficult process to just generate 
one sheet of vellum. And then you have to have a monk sit down and transcribe. You sit down. You, you do that. You sit down. You open up your, your Bible and start writing and let and and put a clock on yourself and let me know how long it takes well it's going to take a very 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 long time and if you you know if you say it, it's going to take 2000 hours 2000 hours is considered a working year okay what what's your working year worth for most for most adults over over our age it's into the six figures Okay, so now we're now we're at six figures just in the labor to have somebody sit and transcribe the Bible, never mind the labor and cost of producing the vellum that has to be used in order to do all this. And, and also it's just, not and also not taking into account the incredible artistry that goes into the uh, illuminations. The illuminations, yeah, exactly. That's why there's one of the coolest things when you most of these things are in Europe, but I suppose there are a few of them in major museums in the United States and you can see these old old um uh texts um, and it, and like I said, it, it is, it's lectionaries, it's breviaries, it's, you know, choir chant, it's all of that. And when the illumination is usually in the context of the first letter of that psalm or whatever it is, is, you know, this great, big, huge, gigantic, let's say the first letter is, uh, G. Okay. So you got this enormous, enormous G. And then within that is a scene of, you know, whatever it is, the Annunciation or, or, you know, St. Michael or, or anything. And these little, little, and some of them aren't, aren't, aren't very little, you know, the, the books were huge. Some of the books were huge. And so you've got this thing that's maybe, I don't know, three by five, you could have a, you could have a, just a capital G illumination three by five inches. And then within that is some absolute masterpiece work of art, um, you know, of all of these biblical scenes. And then they would, they would decorate around the margins, you know, and there's a whole, um, very interesting category of of study and and art that people are starting to get back into of these illuminations and what all of these little things symbolized and you know why is there a knight riding a snail and you know things like, they would have sometimes very cute and very witty little little scenes animals things like that and this that illumination art is is it's part of our it's part of our artistic patrimony in Christendom. And it's um, a lot of it, it. It is good to know that a lot of it is maintained in museums, but um, hopefully there will be a resurgence of it again, as everybody will need their own breviary because everybody will go back to at least praying Vespers every night. Hopefully. And yeah. you mentioned all the artistry that goes on to the individual pages. Again, saying nothing of the, the book binding itself and, and mm -hmm. the cover and the gold inlay and, and all of the artwork and the, and the, the leather work and, and, and brass for, for holding the thing together and, or to clasp it shut. I mean, these are just massive works of art. And I wonder if for some of these books, say for example, altar missiles, if they had a life 
not unlike some of the cathedrals. In other words, you got the initial good enough draft done where you could start using it for mass, but over the next decades or even century, uh, the monks who were really good at uh, doing illuminations, the space was left there for somebody to go back and do it later. I'm, I have no idea. I'm just kind of speculating, guessing, whatever. And all of the decorations then around uh, around the mass for certain feast days, I could see where they, they might want to be functional first and then beautiful second. But then again, maybe that's my mind, my modern mind thinking of what makes the most sense. And I have no idea what they how they prioritized it back then. That's a good question. I don't know if they would be um, painting and and doing doing the artistic bits on pages that were already bound. I'm not sure. Well, well they didn't any- they didn't wait 800 years to have the first mass at Notre Dame, for example. Once it was functional to the point that they had a, a roof that wasn't leaking, that, that they could put an altar in and consecrate it and actually have ceremonies there, they started using it as a church, even though it was 100 or 200 years from being complete, as we understand it. Well, and there are still churches to this day that have not yet been um, formally formally consecrated, had the, the whole huge ceremony, because you cannot formally consecrate a church until it's finished, finished. And there are still there are still churches, especially in the new world, that aren't yet finished, and so they haven't been consecrated. The altar the altars are consecrated, but the the whole big huge um, they just did where did they do? Oh, the the nuns at Gower, Missouri, um, they just had a gigantic trad consecration of their new church and it was a huge deal and i mean people flew into this thing from all over the world because it's such a rare thing anymore to see this happen you know obviously not not only to have a brand new church like this consecrated but to have it done completely in the old rite and then um the the mother the mother superior was actually made an abbess which is kind of an abbess like her within the bounds of of her monastery she has almost or darn darn close to the level of authority of a bishop inside the boundaries of her um of her monastery there she so is it, the local ordinary Huh? Say she, again? she is the local ordinary in her abbey. In, yeah, in, in she her is domain. the local ordinary. Yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. And that was a really big deal. We should probably put some, there's all kinds of good videos on YouTube of that. And it's a big deal. And it, it doesn't happen anymore, but very rarely. But having said that, when whatever happens, happens in the triumph of the Immaculate Heart and all that, and or whatever, however this plays out, I am absolutely convinced that most Catholic churches are probably going to have to be reconsecrated. They're going to have to be exercised and reconsecrated. And I mean, and, you know, talking about like, for example, and this is sad, but it's true. The churches in Rome, almost every church in Rome by now has been um, um, defiled by sodomitical activity over the years you know, and there's so much of it going on in Rome that I think the blanket assumption is going to be that we're just going to have to go in. We're going to have to exercise every one of these churches and we're going to have to go ahead and reconsecrate them because you're going to have to assume 
that because the, the, the presence of sodomites, especially in Rome today, is so ubiquitous, you're just going to have to assume that there have been acts of sodomy that have gone on inside of these churches. And I'm, I'm not talking specifically inside the sanctuary or inside the nave, although that does happen too. Um, but I'm talking about, you know, back in the sacristy or in, in the apartments and rooms that are connected to churches, which they all have in Europe. Um, there's, you know, most of those churches are built, like you said, slowly. I mean, even, even, a, even a, a not very large church in, in Europe would take decades and decades and decades to build. And they just kind of keep adding on and adding on and adding on piecemeal, piecemeal, piecemeal. So a lot of those old churches are just mazes of, you know, staircases and, and storage rooms and, and living quarters and this, that, and the other. And it, again, grown up conversation, but it's so ubiquitous that you have to assume that all of those spaces basically have been defiled by sodomites. In the case of Europe, where they actually have proper nice churches, that makes complete sense. At least here mm -hmm. in the United States, given, I, I guess, one of the few fortunate things we could take from the horrible architecture of the last 50 years is that when the correction happens, everything we call churches now will just become parish halls and we'll build the proper church alongside. Right, absolutely, because yeah, they 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 were built, and I think I think we did an episode about this. Oh, it's probably been two years ago now, probably one of the early episodes. That the um, since since the asteroid hit, since the middle of the twentieth century, these these churches in the United States, and I'm talking Catholic churches, also, but obviously Protestant churches what the trend has been is to is to build these things such that they have a residual real estate book value as as and could be transformed into some other space very very easily some other purpose so when you're trying to build a new church in the united states if you're in a particularly bad um archdiocese with a bad bishop and a bad chancery, they're going to be leaning on you to not build the thing in any sort of an architecturally sound way for its use as a Catholic church. They're going to want to see this thing that's going to have a book value so that it could be sold and repurposed as a mosque, as a um, super fun rock band church, as a um, meeting facility something like that, just a meeting hall. Um, they want to see the, the ability to repurpose it. And if you build a Catholic church correctly, it cannot, it cannot really be anything other than a Catholic church. Now, you, we've all seen these horrible um, pictures from, uh, they're coming out of the UK, the Anglicans, who have cathedrals that were obviously built Catholic before the, the Anglican revolt. And they're the, these big, beautiful churches, but you know, because they're Anglicans, and Anglicans are just completely—they're just completely gone. They're completely pagan, totally pagan. They're doing things like installing um, putt-putt golf courses. Um, I've seen what was it, um, like squash or or badminton courts, things like that. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're completely defiling their own churches. There's one that had, they installed a, 
like it looked like a fairground. It looked like a, a, a what do they what do they call that? The main drag at the at the county fair. The um the fairway. It's it's called a fairway. It looked like a county fair fairway that they had turned the nave of this gorgeous cathedral into. And it's of course because they're completely pagan and they hate God and infected by sodomites. And that's just that's the Church of England. That that's it. So, but yeah, if you if you build a church right, it should only it should only really be usable as as a church and nothing else. And if you pray correctly, that informs your faith and your faith will never wane and you'll use the church properly. Exactly. Oh, sigh. <laughs> There's another rabbit hole. <laughs> so is it a mortal sin to hear our Lord's name in vain in a TV show or a movie? Boy, somebody sent me an email with this, and they said, I, I, I heard a priest recently say, a trad priest recently say, that it is, a, it is a mortal sin if you have watched some form of media and our Lord's name is used in vain. I thought, good heavens. Um, you know, my first, my, my first reaction to that, it was, well, if that kind of thing sneaks up on you, and you didn't know it was coming. I mean, that could happen if you're walking down the street, you know, that someone could be shouting some blasphemy or something like that. You hear all kinds of things when you when you go outside. But then I started thinking about it. And what what I think the point is, is that, yes, that I have noticed, and I don't consume hardly any uh, mainstream media at all, no television, rarely go to a modern or see a modern movie, certainly don't go to a modern movie, rarely see a modern movie, just not interested in any of that garbage. But I, I still have an enough of an engagement with it to know that yes, they are going out of their way to use our, to take our Lord's name in vain and use these things. And they're not even considered um, it's not even considered cursing anymore. And the other thing is the fact that everything's transitioning from broadcast television and basic cable to now everything's streaming. And that's just the Wild West. So, you know, Netflix or whatever streaming service or, or Amazon, whoever's producing a given television show now they don't have the constraint that broadcast television does. And so they will use whatever horrific language, including taking our Lord's name in vain and blasphemies and so forth. And it seems to me that what this is, what the overarching concept is here is that you shouldn't be watching any of this stuff in the first place. You shouldn't be consuming contemporary media in any meaningful way. You know, there's plenty of old movies and good stuff to watch. Most of it's free and on YouTube. And, you know, you don't need to be, you know, staring at a screen hours and hours and hours a day and every night and blah, blah, blah. You And what you do consume, yeah, you do need to acknowledge that there's just, if, if you are consuming modern production media, it's it's not reasonable for you to expect that it's going to be clean. That's not that's not a reasonable expectation anymore. In fact, that's such an expectation it makes you wonder if if it was done as a joke. I I, I, I was coerced, not coerced. I was recommended that I watch the movie Napoleon Dynamite years ago, 
And the thing that that really struck me as odd when I was watching, looking at the credits, is that it was done by MTV Films, and it's a PG film. And the the thought that occurred to me is, did they just get really high one night and say, "Hey, let's make a PG film," and they just all do the stoner laugh? It was. I, I can see where the the movie has its cult following, but it it's one of the few examples that is actually clean and it's like one and it's not even that funny yeah it's i remember seeing that and just thinking what in the world is this what are they thinking um it it wasn't it wasn't dirty but it wasn't as i recall it just didn't have much redeeming value at all or a particularly good message um well if you didn't see the movie drunk or stoned maybe that's why Oh, well, I was neither. <laughs> no, neither, neither, um, neither here. But I, I've heard from some people who are into that that if you uh, consume media in those uh, strange states, that that you get more out of it otherwise. But I don't. That that gets into a separate rabbit hole of. Um, I think I mentioned. Uh, in fact, I, I did mention in the last podcast uh, Taylor Marshall's interview with I forget his name now, but one of the comments he made there. In, in, in talking about demonic possession and fighting the demons is that they prey on people in um, who are under the influence of drugs and alcohol when, mm-hmm. when you do not have full attainment of your faculties. And we're not even talking about getting smashed out of your head drunk uh, or, or taking, you know, uh, heroin or really heavy duty things. If you're in this morally ambiguous group where you say, uh, you know, a drag or two of marijuana is okay. Even, even anything that dulls the mind is an opening to, to the occult. If you, are not protecting yourself against that, and why take the risk? I mean, you 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 read the the epistle one Peter five that uh, Satan is out like a like a lion seeking like who he can lion. devour. Yep, absolutely. Don't don't open the door. Um, and it's interesting that um, the the vice that is contrary to temperance is, if I'm not mistaken, wrath. So that's kind of speaks to the the angry drunk or at least what alcohol does is it just lowers your inhibitions in general so are you going if you're prone to wrath are you going to be more wrathful if you're prone to gossip are you going to gossip more well most people talk more when they're drunk so that's always a concern and you know you can go on down the list and then heaven heaven for fend if you have six commandment issues we all we all know what alcohol does if a person has six commandment issues so there you go it's it's just it's just not good so um but the other thing that occurred to me in, in the context of this question about the mortal sin of just hearing our lord's name taken in vain when you consume this media what i have noticed and just speaking purely for myself here the taking of our lord's name in vain has always bothered me badly since i was a teeny teeny tiny child and i think i talked about this once i've i had one relative when i was a small child who would just take our lord's our, our lord's name in vain just horribly as as an expression of pure disgust and contempt and from the time i was from the time i switched on when i was you know 18 months old or however however old i was when i started seriously laying down memories um i always always knew 
that there was something very, very wrong with that. And that was very bad. Um, and that was bad news. And then what I've noticed, so it's always bothered me, but what I've noticed is over the last, I don't know, several years or, or whatever it's been, that when I do, when you're, you know, tootling around or someone sends you a referral, hey, hey, listen to this clip on YouTube of this and such or that and such and blah, blah, blah. Um, and somebody takes our Lord's name in vain and you hear it, it I've noticed that it bothers, it's bothering me more and more and more. And I think that's a good thing. Um, obviously, it's a good thing that I'm bothered. Um, but the whole question of whether whether it's a mortal sin, if if you hear something like that, I, I don't know if it's the if the mortal sin would be that you heard it or the fact that you were you were consuming media that you probably should have known better that you shouldn't have been consuming. Well, let's let's do a quick review. What is necessary? There there are three things necessary for a mortal sin to be a mortal sin. First, you have to, and I'm, I'm not going to do it in the typical order, um, but you have to you have to give full consent of the will. Mm-hmm. So you have to know something is is sufficient material. You have to give full consent of the will and do it. And I think there's some things missing here, especially if it was something where somebody says, "Hey, check out this this video or something," or send you a link, or you're you're watching a movie that you had no idea this was even going to be in it. Um, you obviously have no opportunity to know in advance and then give full consent to the will. Now, if you stop it, go back and say, I like the fact that they blasphemed and then you play it. Okay. You, you got problems. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> that's definitely a problem. But for example, um, who's a, uh, the podcast that a lot of people will send around snippets and say, Hey, really good point was made here. You should listen to this. Let me guess. Is Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. And bad language is used. Bad language is used. But it they do they have intelligent, in-depth discussions sometimes about very interesting, very relevant, important topics, but bad language is used. Now sh- I, I don't know. Should you say I'm just I'm absolutely categorically never, ever, 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 ever going to look at anything, even if it's recommended to me that Joe Rogan does, because there is a non-trivial, non-trivial chance that something is going to be said that is that is a violation of the what is it? Third, third. Third is a violation of the third commandment. Um, it's it's always been the third commandment for me. I, I know you're you're trying to think. Wait, third or fourth? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I start okay. Six, five, four. I have to. I have to. I have to. I start at six and then count. Have to count back up the other way. Yeah. I would phrase the question slightly different. Is there anything that's gonna you're gonna learn in a Joe Rogan podcast that is going to help you get to heaven? Probably not. Probably not. And if you what, and yeah. if you do learn something, it was probably by accident. Yeah. Because these are these are not, if I'm not mistaken, Joe Rogan is a um, a fallen away Catholic. Yes. And and very recalcitrant in in saying so. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I, I think I think that's the key is whether you're going and consuming things in the first place 
that you know you probably shouldn't be. And um, yeah, and I think as we all move forward and hopefully, hopefully this is the prayer, this is what we're asking God for is that we are continually advancing in sanctity and not stagnating. And certainly, God forbid, we fall back. But if we're advancing in sanctity and doing what we should, yes, we should become those things should become more and more and more offensive to pious ears as as the saying goes yes our our little ears should become more pious as we advance in sanctity and that should bother us more and more and yeah it's and it's i've i'm guilty of using all kinds of language that as as it was put to me our lady would never ever 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 use that term. And, you know, that's right. That's absolutely right. She wouldn't. And she should be the model for, especially for women, obviously she can be the model for men and many, many, many things, but especially in this context, yeah, you're, you should model your speech off. Well, would, would our lady say that? Would she phrase it that way? And that's, that's a good, that's, that's a, that's an excellent metric to use. And if you're serious, if you want to hold yourself to that sort of a standard. Now I've had other people tell me that you know, being scrupulous about using, for example, scatological references, which is what, that's my big thing is, and my, my linguistic problem is using scatological terms to express disgust and, and emphasis and things like that. If you, can you become hyper scrupulous and make an idol out of that? Because, you know, scatological realities are part of existence and there are scatological references in scripture on the other hand balance that with the question would our lady ever say that would she phrase it that way i think it's pretty clear that the answer is no so yeah that's it's definitely something to work on but one thing that i have noticed and again looking back at life and, you know, looking at red flag situations and warnings that went up, one of the things that I look back at and I kick myself, the red flag was up the flagpole, baby, and unfurled. And that is people using horrific language, F word, and, and also taking our Lord's name in vain. And I look back at those those associations and I, I I just kicked myself and I should have said, you should have known. You should have known and you you said you cut slack, you turned a blind eye to that and you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. But you know what? It it turned out to be a big deal. And that was just the indicator of how things were going to progress. And it was a huge red flag and you turned a blind eye. And when you turn a blind eye to these things in life, it comes back to bite in the, in the backside every time. And it's, it's just a matter of sooner or later, sooner or later, it will come back to bite you. Honor those red flags, pay attention to them and act on them. Well, I'm certainly guilty of having spoken in, um, shall we say, standard Navy phraseology in, mm, in the mm. past. And, and it can be a difficult habit to break. And um, ironically, one of the sharpest rebukes I ever got from somebody was I w when I was in college, I said something around uh, one of the, the people in my class, 
And she made this really sharp look in my direction. It's like, I have never heard you use that language before. And I was surprised because I was still in the process of trying to expunge it all. And I didn't realize that I'd actually done such a good job around some of my classmates. And they thought I was more pious. I it, it just it, it was it just made me think of that when you're talking about you know trying to break habits and and the the most uh, poignant um, example that sticks out in my mind was somebody. Well, who you had, know what you you disappointed that person. I did, and uh, yeah, you disappointed them. Yeah. This yep. is also the same person who who um, questioned if I was judging her as a person because she wore pants, and I said that I was never going to date somebody who wore pants. But she wasn't Catholic, so that that's. It worked <laughs> out. It was for the best. Okay. <laughs> well, and, and 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 I explained to her that that uh, that the reason I was saying that is I was looking for a particular kind of Catholic girl, somebody who was raised traditionally or became traditional and was very serious about it, and and those who fit that category and then wear pants. You're saying, yeah, I don't really believe it, as opposed to somebody who never grew up with that sensibility and wears you know, modest pants to the degrees that that something is. She she was a, a good Lutheran girl, to put it that way. Um, so random things, which have nothing to do with the actual topics we were going to get into, uh, as insane as it might be. But um, should one call somebody by um, preferred pronouns, these, these transane people? Transane? <laughs> um, I don't think so, no. Um, and there was recently... A blog post somewhere where the argument was way made, you know, that's not the hill to die on. If you've got some coworker and, you know, if Bruce Jenner rolls into your into your office one day and does the whole call me Caitlin, she her. No, I, I don't I don't I don't think you should participate in that. And I do think it is a hill to die on because that's a that's a pretty darn big hill. If you start if you start denying the reality of sex of human sex and the word by the way this is kind of an aside um, the proper the proper word here is not gender gender is a linguistic construct so for any of you who speak you know Spanish any, any romance language even German German has gender Latin has gender in in you know there's feminine nouns there's masculine nouns and in i think german has neuter latin has neuter um gender is a linguistic construct that's that is not the correct term to use when speaking about human beings human beings male female that is the the term for that is sex not gender so just to make sure we have our we have our terminology straight here. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> um, I do think absolutely that it is a hill to die on. I will never, ever knowingly. And again, this is, <laughs> this is another thing. Um, I was talking to someone not too long ago and they were telling me about how they had interacted with apparently a man who had had all kinds of, you know, mutilating surgeries and so forth, and had taken hormones and so on and so forth. And the person honestly had no idea that it was it was a man. The, the person thought when they were act, interacting with this person that it was in fact a female, and then found out after the fact. And, you know, felt, felt awful because they had, in a sense, participated in and, and ratified this lie, although it was completely... 
it wasn't their fault because the the deception and the mutilation the, the mutilation was that deceiving that the person basically couldn't have really known without having been told um but i think that if if you are aware that a person is transane and that they are they are cross dressing that they are engaging in mutilation surgical mutilation uh chemical hormonal mutilation no absolutely not no and i do i do think it is a hill to die on and i mean if not that then what where does this end when are we going to draw a line in the sand and say that you know there there actually is a hill to die on and this is it it seems to me that one of the problems that we've had over the last 50 years, 100 years, whatever it is, but especially the last 50 years, is that everyone just keeps trying to kick this can down the road and say, this isn't the hill to die on. This isn't the hill to die on. This isn't hill the hill to die on. Just let the sodomites, just let them do their thing, leave them alone. This isn't the hill to die on. And then that turns into... The next thing you know, your children mandatorily have to attend drag queen story hour and roll around on the floor with some guy in in makeup. I mean, it's wh where does this end? Where do you finally draw the line and say, no, I'm not doing this? I think the denial of the reality of sex is is a hill to die on. I think you draw the line there. I'm not participating in this and I'm never ever going to will willingly, knowingly call somebody by um, pronouns or a name or whatever that does not match the genetic DNA objective reality of what sex they are. I'm, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. And I've added to my email footer, you know, if you've ever gotten an email from me, there's a footer on it that's been there for years now that says, and furthermore, I consider that Islam must be destroyed, which is a riff on, you know, Cic Cicero. And he would say that about um, Carthage. Carthage, yeah. So, um, and now I've added to my email footer, the first sentence is, Bruce Jenner is a man, period. And furthermore, I consider that Islam must be destroyed. And I just asked Super Nerd if he would add that to the footer on uh, Barnhart.biz. If you open, if you open a post as its as its discrete post, um, at the bottom of every post is a big, bright yellow box, and it says, "And furthermore, I consider that Islam must be destroyed." We're going to add. Bruce Jenner is a man. And this is, again, <laughs> circling back to the beginning of the podcast and the beginning of the conversation. This is why, eventually, I will be deplatformed and I will not be able to be on the internet because of things like, because saying Bruce Jenner is a man. Is that with a J or a G? Jenner? With a yeah. J. J. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's It's updated. And things like yeah, who? As we were just talking about it, I, I remember it's like I I gotta I gotta do this. So the, they call they call the, you super nerd for a reason, baby. <laughs> well, the hardest part has been remembering to do this when I've got time to do it. So as we're talking about, it, it's like I can type quietly and do this while Anne's talking. Yes, 
Well, thank you very much. Well, there you go. A little piece of history just happened. Bruce Jenner is a man was just added to barnhart.biz to the code permanently. Awesome. So yeah, things like that. Bruce Jenner is a man that I'm not going to be able to have a bank account at some point because because of that. Um, and things like this are, are already happening. People are being deplatformed for things for just general activities that we do not approve of, said the bank or said this or said that. It's all happening, folks, and get ready for it. And in a certain sense, I'm, you know, given my position and my state in life, I kind of feel it's incumbent upon me to provide a little bit of leadership. And, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to bayonet charge a machine gun, um, I think people like me need to be at the forefront of that. So that's what we're going for. Yeah. Charging machine guns can be dicey, but uh, somebody's got to do it at some point. And if you keep saying this isn't the hill to die on, this isn't the hill to die on, unfortunately, all you're doing is establishing the muscle memory to never make a stand. That's and right. I have not had to really deal with that particular issue where I work. Uh, the closest it got is we had an intern who uh, was confused about his orientation and, and uh, whether you should worship somebody from heaven or the other place. And... Um, I just always referred to the person by their first name. I never even got into the gender thing. And it, it was easier because um, they weren't even on my team. But every once in a while, this person's name would come up and I would refer to them by name, not by pronouns. So anyway, Sad. yeah, at some, at some point it, it's going to be, uh, well, actually on, on social media, not that you're on social media, but they, they call that dead naming. So if you were to tweet, what Anne just oh, said, yeah, Bruce Jenner yeah. is a man. You'll be permanently banned from 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 uh, Twitter, from Facebook, and it's it's really crazy. the The level of political correctness is uh, Martina Navratilova, or as some people say, Martin Navratilova. She tweeted something about uh, trans transsexuals are not women, and she she got in a lot of trouble for this. Yeah, well, she took she took the actually the correct stand. And in fact, there are a lot of lesbian female athletes who in the context of athletics are taking the proper stand and saying this business of these men coming over and just, I mean, obviously the men are going to totally dominate whenever they're competing against women. It's not even close. Um, I think they tried to do an example of, um, in terms of tennis, I, I, maybe it was John McEnroe made the point. It was Patrick McEnroe, his brother. Pat, oh, Patrick McEnroe made the point about how far down in the men's tennis rankings would you have to go before you had a fair fight between a male tennis player and Serena Williams. And it was like, you, you know, any, any man who is a professional tennis player is going to be able to just wipe the floor with Serena Williams and Serena Williams is a bruiser. She's strong. You say it's not even close. It's not even close. And so Martina Navratilova made correctly the point that this business, these men coming in and just destroying all female athletics, let's compartmentalize that question in and of itself. Leave that alone for now. Let's just stick on this. These men coming in are destroying female athletics, completely destroying the entire paradigm. And Martina Navratilova rightly pointed this out. And 
caught all kinds of hell, ended up, I think she walked it back. Didn't she walk it back? I don't recall the, the resolution of it. It was just the irony that a lesbian or turbo feminist is saying these trans people are not women. They should not be competing with women. And Patrick McEnroe, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't just saying that Serena would be ranked in the 700s, but he was saying Serena at her prime would have been ranked in the 700s, not Serena a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Not Serena age 39 after having a baby. Yeah. Absolutely. And Serena has been one of the most dominant female tennis players and one of the most, um, what would, what word would you use? I mean, the athleticism, her athleticism is clearly, she has just brute physical strength that most of the other female tennis players don't have. And then you combine that with, you know, coordination and savvy and and touch and all of that kind of stuff and it, it's just been the whole package and that's why she's dominated now for 20 years um talk but, about people of a certain age there if you remember when venus williams came onto the scene mm-hmm. and was just obliterating the established pros and went from basically not in the rankings to the top 10 immediately and it was just this absolute just phenom out of nowhere and, and the commentators who actually knew the Williams family said, she's not even the best Williams sister. Yeah. And in fact, that, the that father was, said that too. Remember their crazy father? The crazy father was on the record as saying, no, Serena's better than Venus. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and people were looking at that saying, he's either crazy or she's really crazy good. And, mm-hmm. and that was just so unbelievable because because uh, Venus came out of nowhere, you know, six foot one, something like that, and just mm-hmm. absolutely crushing everybody. Mm-hmm. And there were some. And that didn't it's not last like long. it's not like women's tennis was was lacking uh, in players. I'm trying to remember who the six foot one Swiss woman was who was just crushing everybody on the tour, but she all of a sudden couldn't couldn't beat Venus. Martina Hingis. They the Williams sisters basically deposed the reign of Martina Hingis, the Swiss girl, if I remember correctly. I can't remember who it was. It 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 was it was. I don't. I don't think it was. Well, maybe I don't know. I just remember that there was there was the, the big Swiss woman who was who was winning everything, and then Venus showed up, and then she wasn't winning everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was the that was the change, and so yeah, like you said, I if if not, man, if not the objective reality of the the fact that there are males and females, God created the male and female. If you can't even if you're if you're willing to compromise on that and you're willing to kick that can down the road and you're willing to let it also be said you're willing to scandalize others most especially young people and children who will see you doing this because remember what what is scandal it's when you do something that causes other people to either lose the faith or causes other people, incites other people to follow you in whatever sin you're committing. Saying, well, oh, well, so-and-so did it, so it must be okay. Um, that's scandal. I-, I can't think of a of a clearer example of scandal than someone laying down and dying and calling Bruce Jenner, she, Caitlin. I mean, that I mean, that's... What are what are you saying? What are you communicating to the other adults around you? And what are what are you communicating, especially to children? It's a it's a massive scandal. Absolutely. Yeah. I Don't do re- it. I didn't realize your sentence was over. 
Well, you know, I'm unpredictable like that. Talking about uh, Joe Rogan again, one of the one, he also is a commentator for MMA or mixed martial arts, and he has mm-hmm. gotten in a lot of um, has gotten into some controversy in, in, in taking the stand that uh, these crazy people who are men who think they are women should not enter female MMA, and whether or not there should even be female MMA. Well, no, there shouldn't be. But there we should leave that no. leave that argument for another time. But he says the the idea of having these um, genetically male people fight women just because they identify as female is objectively dangerous. You're going to end up oh, with yeah. people Someone's getting get brain killed. damage, killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just not just the raw physical strength because there are some pretty strong women, but bone density, endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just another level of, of of physical ability. That's right. Yeah, it's it's a miracle that that it hasn't happened yet. Um, I I I don't know what what a world. I mean, you can't even we're talking about you know late Roman Empire and blood sports and all of that. I mean, look at this. Look at what we're talking about now. Putting putting transane men in a fighting ring with with women, and this is this is our blood sports, and this is this is creepier and more perverse than than what the romans were doing the romans were you know having male gladiators fight with each other this is just this has a layer of satanic perversity to it that i don't think i don't think the late roman empire at its very worst could have even come up with anything like this and boy there were a bunch of sodomites among amongst them too but you know the thing about that, and someone reminded me, a person who's knowledgeable of, of classical history, is that even at the worst, even at the worst of it, they were still ashamed. There was still a sense of shame of a man um, being a sodomite, having, having a catamite, which is a, you know, a young male uh, concubine. Um, there's a story about I don't know who it was. If it's Hadrian, Hadrian had a catamite had a catamite named Antinous, who was a teenage he was a teenage boy. Uh, but you know, like all of them, they like them pubescent or postpubescent. Um, most of them aren't into little bitty kids. They want they want that you know they want an adolescent or or a young man. So Emperor Hadrian has a catamite Antinous. And as Hadrian would be processing through Rome, um, people would cl- would call out, "Is is um, Antinous pregnant yet?" And there, even then, there was that sense of shame. And what what it is now is we've surpassed all of that to where, of course, what do they call themselves? What is their mantra? Pride. So it's it's far worse now i think than late roman empire in my opinion well the roman empire the only saving grace they had is they were pre-christian now we have yep. our, our society we can't have the excuse that we did not have uh the, the public revelation of of the gospels yep exactly and we can expect to be persecuted and we can expect eventually that they'll start killing us over this so yeah. On that happy note. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well. Okay. So, talking about persecution and and uh, banking and whatnot, 
I, I did make a mention on on uh, Twitter, and a couple of people on on um, on email realized this as well. That uh, my PayPal, or I shouldn't say my the the Super Nerd Media PayPal account got terminated, and the I gotta find the email here from from um, from uh, PayPal. <laughs> I don't know why I was gonna say LinkedIn. From PayPal, uh, the the language didn't match the previous communication with them. And there, there's two sides of this. There's one that makes sense and one that absolutely doesn't. The part that makes sense is that when I initially set up the PayPal account, I had no idea what this was going to turn into. It's, it's kind of like businesses as they're growing, they don't know what they're going to turn into when they're when they fully grow up. So if sometime you know along their early growth uh, phase, they decide, hey, I want to have a mobile application, and then ten years later, it's just a complete soup sandwich of code that you know 150 different developers have had a hand in people don't know what it's going to turn into i had no idea what this whole super nerd media thing was going to be and in fact the whole name was you came up with it in in the oh. first uh episode i had no idea what nickname you were going to give me until you i heard it when you said it the first time so i thought okay fine i guess i'm super nerd now and uh you had mentioned setting up a paypal account to help pay for some of the uh the expenses and the equipment and gear and things like that. So I went on PayPal and set up first name, super last name, nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no human person with that identity. And once you have enough money come in, uh, and especially when you register it as a business, they, they say, okay, we're going to need some supporting documentation. I tried to actually give them an EIN number and they wouldn't take it. Say they, they said, there's no EIN that matches this, this uh, name super nerd in the IRS database. It's like, yeah, that's true. It's, it's actually a DBA. It's not the, 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 the parent LLC. And so uh, I did talk to PayPal about this and they said, well, the name has to match an IRS uh, filing because we need to make sure all of our documentation's in line. I was like, can't I send you a letter saying I take it upon myself if, if I'm doing things wrong because I am paying taxes on this the way I'm supposed to. My accountant can write you a letter about all this. And they said, no, we have to do it for essentially banking rules. Uh, PayPal and some of these online financial fintech companies, it's part of, your, of the know your customer rule. So they're getting closer and closer to being a bank. Now, mm-hmm. the email that came that they sent didn't say anything about this. They said, uh, based on, on your current activity. And, uh, it was, it was another weird phrase they used. Um, something yeah, about it was Orwellian. It was very, it, it Orwellian. was, it was, um, Oh, here it is. The, the, the risk management thing. Um, we have recently reviewed your, your PayPal services and, um, Oh, the Due na- to the nature of your activities. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Due to the nature of your activities, we have chosen to discontinue service to you in accordance with PayPal's user agreement, which that's, you know, 47 pages legally. I'm not going to look for it. The weird thing is I was actually looking to replace PayPal, but it was going to, probably going to be at the beginning of the year. And um, I, I didn't know for sure if this was going to coincide with an LLC change or something like that. For the time being, uh, the ability for me to receive payments, uh, whether it's donations or for DVDs, is nil at the moment for because PayPal is is effectively done. In fact, talking about updating websites, they they say in this email, go take everything PayPal related off your website. Uh-huh. Yeah, when I get time, I'll do it. Um, so that's that's the the story. It, it's it's partly Orwellian. It's partly kind of reasonable. Um, but at the same time, when I was talking to PayPal about this, I was I was fine with with making sure, okay, 
for HR purposes, I don't want my real identity being able to, you know, the, the background check companies, I don't want them to be able to, to easily put two and two together and say, oh, this person who goes by the name of Roman McLean online, he's really this person. Oh, and you just hired him to work on your, your uh, applications. Do you really want somebody who is so politically sensitive working for your company? That's why I don't use my real name. It's, it's not that I'm trying to be secretive or hiding or anything like that. I mean, more than a handful of people have figured out who I really am. That's not, that's not the point. It's, but, but when you start taking money, now you get into these financial regulations that say you have to know your customer and all the rest. So with, with PayPal, they said, okay, fine. I, there is a way to do this where I can put my real name on the account, but my real name never actually shows up when anybody makes a donation or, or buys something. But you can't actually change the account once it's set up. So hmm. the, the person actually said, it'd be easier for you to shut down the account and start a new one. And I replied, if I shut down the account, I'm switching to Stripe. I'm not staying with PayPal. Uh-huh. And they said, well, we still recommend you stay with PayPal. It's like, <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, it, it's the fact that PayPal just doesn't care. They really don't care. And, and if, you, if you are big enough that you are doing, I don't even know who a good example would be. Um, if if you're doing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue, you might be able to get somebody on the line because they probably wouldn't want to lose that cut of money because they're taking 3% plus or 2.9% plus 30 cents on every transaction. Uh, that's for U.S. to U.S. transactions. And if it's a donation or an order from overseas and it's 5 point something plus 30% plus 30 cents, they're, they're getting their cut. So if somebody's got significant volume running through their system, they're going to work with you to make sure that they don't kick you off. But if you're a small beans person who technically is over the minimum IRS threshold and you don't have all your ducks in a row to, to uh, satisfy an IRS automated um, audit, then guess what? Go away. So that's I'm, I'm in the uh, PayPal wants me to go away category at the moment. So it'll get fixed at some point. Uh, for the time being, if somebody wants to make a donation or order a DVD or something, just send me an email. And, and um, while well, the... the uh, the PO box, not PO box, the, the mailbox address is, is on the website. Uh, that still works. Uh, in fact, one of the, do- the donors this evening that, that I'll mention uh, a little bit later, he's got, he, he just has an automatic um, bank payment. So a lot of a lot of uh, banks with their bill pay, you just put in the, the name, the address, and say, you know, $10 every month, send it to this person. That's, mm-hmm. how, I, that's how I do my, my donations actually at church, which always, always makes me feel weird when they're coming through at the basket. It's like, am I supposed to hold up my phone and say I donated online? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what the protocol is for that. If you're an usher, let me know. Um, or, that's or, a good or, point. That's like also judging people who don't go up to receive Holy Communion too. Similar, is, is the similar person- but different. It has is the person who's not putting anything in the basket. Are they just are they not tithing, or are they doing it electronically, or are they doing one big lump sum, you know, quarterly or something like that? Don't be judging. Don't be judging. Actually, I did mention I, I did talk to somebody uh, at the parish uh, that I that I go to most frequently about this, and and mentioned that I never put anything in the basket because I pay online. Um, that's kosher, right? Is there some kind of like hand signal to let the usher know that, uh, just, just keep going because, and, and because I'm, I'm not gonna put anything in the basket now. I already did this online. And he said something very interesting. He said, you probably should grab your, your envelopes and put something, even if it's an empty envelope that just says I paid online because there are busy bodies who actually literally take notes of who isn't putting something in the basket. And so for the sake of not tempting them, although 
that's a pretty low threshold. I don't know if I can really fix their problems. Yeah. Um, that, that was the one consideration that this person made is uh, there are busy bodies who pay attention to this, this stuff. It's like, yeah, so. Wow. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think that you should be bending over backwards to do anything to satisfy. Yeah. Busy body, nosy, gossipy people like that. No, I mean, and I mean, by now, good grief. How long is the, how long have Catholic parishes now been absolutely begging people to set up online donation? Like you said, direct bill pay or PayPal, or there are all kinds of, um, electronic services that specifically cater to churches and tithing. Um, they've been pushing that hard. Good grief. When I converted, they were pushing that super hard at the Novus Ordo Parish in Denver that I went to RCIA through really hard. That's, we're going on, we're approaching 15 years now. Come on. If someone doesn't put something in the basket, they're probably, they're probably doing something electronically. I mean, and that's, that's what you should probably assume. <laughs> that's what you should probably assume. Just like you shouldn't assume that if somebody doesn't go up and receive Holy if someone doesn't go up and receive Holy Communion, your assumption should probably be something like, oh, they must have eaten something. We've talked about this before recently in terms of the Eucharistic fast. Oh, they didn't, they didn't go up and receive because they, they probably had lunch today or something or, you know, had breakfast before mass or something like that. That should be your, your baseline assumption, not, not the worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean, some people, it's an act of charity to have coffee, even if that means on the way to mass, because they're just a, a cranky case that's going to bother everybody if they're, if they don't get their caffeine. <laughs> you don't know anybody like that, do you? Uh, there might be one talking into a microphone right now. No. Okay. <laughs> well, super nerd, due to the nature of your activities, that's, I think that's going to be a, a new buzz line that I'm going to, I'm going to start using with people. I, in fact, maybe you could put like a like a Soviet like a Russian accent onto that to make it make it extra spicy. Due to due to due to the nature of your activities. Somebody I, I mentioned on Twitter the the um, the that whole due to the nature of your activities. Somebody replied, "This has to be done in a German accent," and they even wrote it out phonetically in the German accent. So. <laughs> See, great minds think alike. There you go. <laughs> well, you said Russian. They said German. That works. Well, it's just anything totalitarian, and I'm not very good at Chinese accents. And what else is totalitarian? Well, English is getting there. English is getting there. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think the activity right now should be wrapping this episode up, my friend. Yes. The nature of our activities is wrapping to a close. So if you have feedback for the podcast, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors every single day, at least once a day, and every mm -hmm. single week, at least once a week, is a requiem mass for everybody who died in the last week. Uh, please pray for these priests. Um, I can't stress this enough. Um, as much as we might be targets for our uh, anti-political correctness, uh, the priests are much bigger targets because they have the power of hell trying to subvert and destroy any good work they're trying to do. So please, please pray for the priests. And I, I, can I jump in? Um, it was just there was just a law passed today in um, in Australia that they're going to try to start. Uh, what is it? Victoria, Australia passes law forcing confessors to report child abuse. Um, and I've I heard from an Australian priest 
that um, it's getting really, really bad in Australia for Catholic priests. Um, the whole Pell thing and just the, the, the hatred and the hostility towards Catholic priests in Australia just across the board is getting to be really bad. So remember the Australians and there are good Australian priest guys. They're not all, they're not all loopy and dippy and heretics. There are some really good Australian priests. So remember Australia too. And don't forget they have kangaroo courts. You're not going to get actual justice. That's right. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media or Roman McLean or something. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details, but ignore the PayPal button uh, unless I removed it already, in which case, no big deal. Um, for the last time via PayPal, uh, thank you to Blaine, PMJ, Marianne, and Anonymous. And uh, not for the first time, and hopefully not for the last time, via the mailbox, Richard. So the again, the in, if you want to send a, a check instead, uh, the instructions are on the website, supernerdmedia.com. And I will let you wrap up with the Matthew 1720 initiative. Matthew 1720 is fasting twice a week. And the intention is, of course, that anti-pope Bergoglio be pu publicly recognized as anti-pope and the, the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repents, reverts to Catholicism, dies in a state of grace and eventually someday achieves the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repents of whatever he needs to repent of dies in a state of grace and someday achieves the beatific vision. Our lady undoer of knots pray for us. Indeed. And until next time, um, based on the nature of my activities, I am super nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks guys. God bless. <laughs> 